What's up? This is Brent. It's Burgundy Blogcast. Season 4, Episode 21. It is Thanksgiving evening, and the Redskins just lost their second straight game in Dallas, of course, to drop to 6-5. and five. Their recent two-game division lead has completely evaporated, and suddenly the Cowboys, previously left for dead, are on a three-game heater and own a share of the lead. That game, frankly, was a swift kick in the gonads with a tremendous opportunity on primetime television with the entire nation watching. The Redskins basically decided not to put the division on ice, but instead to throw the whole thing back into chaos. Just an extremely disappointing performance all around, and a major buzzkill for a fan base that was kind of strangely but in other ways understandably energized by the ascension of backup Colt McCoy to QB1 position. This is not exactly going to be your typical Burgundy Blogcast episode, because it's Thanksgiving and I was with my family, and scrambling to and fro to keep tabs on the action between helpings of sweet potato casserole and cranberry sauce, and accordingly, I swapped the notepad out for about a half a dozen brew dogs. So, let's see exactly where this episode goes. Burgundy Blogcast, of course, is part of the Blue Wire Sports Podcasting Network, which you can find at bluewirepods.com. I am on Twitter, at BurgundyBlog. And this episode is again brought to you by the online sports betting website, mybookie.ag. So I was pretty hyped up for this game for a lot of reasons, and I suspect many of you were too. First of all, it was Skins Cowboys, which tends to get the juices flowing on its own. Secondly, it was a matchup of the first place Skins and second place Cowboys with the division lead on the line and in a pretty meaningful way as we are already into week 12. A win, of course, would have put the Redskins two full games up on the Cowboys with a head-to-head tiebreaker having swept them. So in a way, they'd have been three games up on their nearest competition in the division, and it probably would have been smooth sailing to a division title and a home playoff game. Instead, they lost, and they share the lead. And suddenly, almost anything can happen, considering they still have two games left against the third place, but not too terribly far behind Philadelphia Eagles. The biggest thing to me here is that the Redskins really had a golden opportunity to make a statement, not just to me and to you, but to themselves in terms of confidence, and to the rest of the league and the country, along the lines of, hey, we're in first place, we're not a disaster, we're not a joke, we deserve it. But they opted not to. Anyway, you slice this game up, really, just a big, big-time disappointment, really, in terms of offense and defense and coaching and just overall feel. I think whereas the game against the Texans last week was, of course, ultimately a loss, but in some ways a tolerable loss, because they showed some fight, battled hard in the second half, and made it very close, this game was basically pissed away by egregious mistakes and really not even as close as the final score would suggest. So I would say, yes, it was a very bad loss, not only in the standings, but also just a loss with very bad optics and terrible emotions. And frankly, it's hard to have a lot of confidence moving forward, even though they do maintain a share of that lead. Now, this is the point in the podcast where I usually start to run through my paper notes. But as mentioned previously, there are no notes for this game, since I had to spend most of my time between plays doing things like literally preventing my children from unhooking grandma's oxygen tanks and pretending to participate in a family nostalgia session. No matter, I did actually get to see every single play, and of course, 
I have access to ESPN Gamecast, with which I will now briefly summarize the important events. The game started, of course, with a long drive by the Cowboys capped off by a short Zeke Elliott touchdown run. Then the teams traded drives that ended in punts. Then the Redskins put together a pretty decent little drive, which ended on a risky pass by McCoy that got intercepted. Then the Cowboys punted right after the first quarter ended, so it was 7-0 Cowboys. The second quarter started with two punts before the Redskins had that very sexy one-play, 53-yard drive consisting entirely of a gorgeous Colt McCoy pass to a streaking Vernon Davis for a touchdown, which tied the score at 7. After that, the Cowboys kicked a field goal, and they traded a couple more punts. So, of course, they went into halftime down 10-7. At which point I was thinking, you know what? I kind of like our chances. But boy, was that stupid. Because after two more punts and a really nice punt return by Trey Quinn, and then a really nice touchdown reception by Trey Quinn, the Cowboys, of course, rattled off 21 straight points in the third quarter. Those came on Amari Cooper's touchdowns of 40 and 90 yards, which you better believe I'm going to come back to. Then Colt McCoy threw a brutal interception to Demarcus Lawrence, so the Cowboys only had to go 17 more yards, ending in a short touchdown run by Dak, on which he broke tackle attempts by half the defense, and then got deposited by Zeke Elliott into the Salvation Army basket in yet another moment that will be used for all eternity to clown the Washington Redskins. I guess technically that touchdown came at the beginning of the fourth quarter, but I mean, geez, what an absolutely brutal 10-minute stretch for the Redskins. By then it was 31-13, and I think we all knew that that 18-point deficit was essentially insurmountable. Now right then, Danny Johnson did have a nice kickoff return, and the Redskins put together a 44-play scoring drive capped off by a short Capri Bibbs touchdown. So the lead was cut to 11, and it kind of felt like maybe there was still a game. Except then Colt threw his third interception, and probably his worst of the three, and the Redskins could muster only a field goal after that. So they lost by technically, I guess, only one score, or a, a touchdown and a two-point conversion. In theory, 31-23. to 23. Let's be clear, this did not look or feel like a one-score game. This felt like they got whipped and then humiliated by virtue of a memorable holiday-related touchdown celebration. Now, in the lead-up to this game, of course, much of the focus was on Colt McCoy and the obvious question of whether or not he could come in after having taken a grand total of zero snaps in practice with the first-team offense through the first 11 weeks of the season and win a humongous game on the road in a place where he had done it before and where he's essentially from and more importantly, whether he was fit to lead the Redskins to the playoffs. And of course, his performance was a major part of the story today. And I've got plenty of thoughts about him, but I don't want to start there because I don't really think he was the most important part of what we just witnessed. The Redskins lost today, and I think for the second week in a row, because of glaring deficiencies on defense. And that's a pretty huge problem because it runs directly counter to the supposed identity that supposedly propelled them to a two-game lead in the division in the first place. That identity, of course, being hard-nosed defense, stopping the run, and imposing their will in the trenches on both sides of the ball. Clearly what we saw today was a far, far cry from that flimsy reputation. The run defense was, in fact, poor for the fourth straight game, as Zeke went well over 100 yards. The Redskins' defense allowed numerous chunk gains, of 10-plus yards via both the run and the pass. The pass rush, which generated a whopping four sacks in the first half, and at that point, 
clearly deserved much praise, disappeared in the second half, allowing Dak to put up almost 300 yards, which is quite a lot for him, and a quarterback rating of 122. And finally, the secondary, as a unit, transitioned from merely below average in the first half to a complete flaming disaster in the second half, and frankly deserves the lion's share of the blame for this loss. Where do we even begin on the problems with the secondary today? I guess we could begin in the first half with Amari Cooper beating Josh Norman at least twice for short to intermediate gains or conversions on third down. Because even as the Redskins generally contained the Cowboys' offense for most of that half, allowing ultimately a total of only 10 points, Norman did not look like anything close to the shutdown corner that we all know he's being paid to be. And the second half, of course, is where it really fell apart for this group. Initially on Cooper's first touchdown, which happened because Quinton Dunbar fell down on the play, then couldn't catch or couldn't contain Cooper before he turned on the Jets and scored. Quinton Dunbar, let's be clear, was a liability throughout the day, not only on that play but on several others, including a key penalty. And it was extremely obvious, if not before that touchdown play, then during it, that Quinton Dunbar's leg is not working correctly at all. He was limping badly in pursuit. And this was the first part of the third quarter, and he never came out. Or he may have for a play here and there, but he was still playing until the end of the game. This, I suppose, is partially on him for telling the staff that he could go, although I think you should always expect an injured player to lobby to get back in. I'd say this is even more on the coaches, specifically defensive backs coach Torian Gray, and of course the head coach, Jay Gruden, to consider what he had been able to show during the week in practice and what he hadn't, and to make the right call that his absence from the lineup clearly should have continued. Further to notice, prior to halftime, I think, that he absolutely needed to be replaced by Stroman or Danny Johnson. I mean, they've both had their ups and downs this year as rookies, but what they lack in experience, either one clearly would have compensated for in health. Dunny was limping around on one leg the entire game like a wounded duck, and his huge gaffe was clearly related to his injury, and he never should have been out there. And that play absolutely marked an enormous momentum shift from which the Redskins never recovered. Fast forward to Cooper's second touchdown, the longer one. What an absolutely reprehensible tackle attempt by Fabian Moreau after getting beaten for the intermediate completion in the first place. Now I know this Redskins defense has really made a lot of hay this year on forcing fumbles, and it's a major point of emphasis, and certainly I am all in favor of defenders attempting to jar a ball loose in the process of making a sound tackle. But what Moreau did there was go for the ball completely at the expense of containing the ball carrier. And that huge mistake allowed the Cowboys to reach 24 points, which the Redskins were never eventually able to match. Moreau, of course, would go on to follow up that massive failure with a critical penalty in the form of an obvious hold on a third and five that extended a Cowboys drive, which would kill over six minutes of critical clock. Fabian Moreau, for those two mistakes and your failure otherwise to make any significant positive impact, you get an F for your Thanksgiving. Thanks for playing. Now, in dispensing blame for these two disasters, let us please not forget about ha-ha Clinton Dix, the free safety and supposed last line of defense. Thank goodness the Redskins traded for Clinton Dix in the NFC East arms race at the trade deadline to counter the Cowboys' acquisition of Amari Cooper. LOL. Haha made a terrible attempt at tackling Zeke on his first quarter touchdown run. In fact, he didn't even really get a chance to attempt to tackle because he got juked so hard in the open field. And Haha later was either out of position or took a terrible angle on both of Cooper's long touchdown catch and runs. These three guys, Dunbar, who I like and who was injured today, 
Moreau, who frankly I don't like much anymore because he's not doing anything for me recently, and Ha Ha Clinton Dix are as a group as responsible as anyone else on the team or staff for today's critical loss. Torian Gray gets a demerit for that, and I hope he lights into his guys and gets lit into himself by Minuski or whoever, because the secondary just did not give the Redskins a chance to win today. And DJ Swearinger, whose first half of the season was blazing hot and who does not seem to mind microphones, has been very quiet for at least three games in a row now, and he certainly did not provide the communication or playmaking on his own to make up for the glaring deficiencies of the other flight marshals. DJ, today you missed your flight, buddy. Sure, watching football is fun, but many would argue that it's more entertaining when you have some action on the games. Whether you're an expert or a rookie, you should be betting at MyBookie. If you're the sort that likes to bet a little but win a lot, like playing the numbers on roulette, you can create a big parlay. Pick three teams to win, and if you hit all three, you could turn $100 into $600. There's so much to bet on. College basketball, college football, NBA, NHL, custom props, even eSports, you name it. MyBookie is the one bet I know you'll be happy with all year. I recommend MyBookie because they have been in business for years, they've got great online reviews, and their mobile site is easy to use. Sign up this week and MyBookie will give you a 50% deposit bonus to jumpstart your bankroll. Also make sure to follow at BetMyBookie on Twitter. They personally respond to every mention and DM, not to mention that they've given away more than $10,000 in free money to their followers this football season. You'll be the first to know as soon as new odds and props are posted. Log on to MyBookie right now and use promo code BLUEWIRE, that's one word, BLUEWIRE, get 50% deposit bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. MyBookie, you play, you win, you get paid. Okay, time for Colt. Colt did some good things, but overall, Colt was bad. I am among those who expected Colt to bring this offense a small but noticeable improvement, if not in efficiency, then in explosiveness, and most importantly, in scoring. On the first count, I guess you could say maybe. On the second count, I think you'd have to say not really. 23 points, granted with a missed extra point, is sometimes sufficient, but often not, and today clearly not. And I'm hard-pressed to say that this offense clearly benefited from having him. Why? Most importantly, what was Alex Smith's biggest strength? For all his limitations and shortcomings, what was his biggest strength? Ball security, right? Protecting the ball, avoiding risk. Well, Colt came in and threw three interceptions, and none of them were flukes. He deserved them, and he probably deserved at least one more. And guess what? The Redskins lost the turnover battle 3-0, and they lost by eight points. So no matter what he did that was better, or good, or adequate, and there were several of those things, and I will mention them, I think it's impossible to say he gave the Redskins a good chance to win today, and I think it's justifiable to say that he was a big part of why they lost. By the way, he also fumbled once today and was lucky to have not lost it. Colt's three interceptions... Three sacks taken, 14 incompletions, and 6.1 yards per attempt were also primary drivers in the Redskins losing the time of possession battle by seven minutes. So whatever the reason, whether it was rust or nerves or just plain old-fashioned lack of talent, Colt was a problem today. Now here are some things I did like about what I saw from Colt. On the early drive that ended in his first interception... He did have two nice plays by extension that allowed third down conversions on third and 11. It was a very rare thing that this Redskins offense was able to convert on third and 10 plus when the other guy was playing. I did also like to see Colt making a few plays with his legs. He was 5 for 28 with a long of 12, and I think that does add something to his game. I like that 
McCoy seems to have better chemistry immediately with both Jordan Reed and Josh Doxson than Alex Smith had. They each caught six balls and contributed very meaningfully to the offense. And strangely, even though Alex Smith started throwing passes to Vernon Davis in like the 1950s, Colts seem to have better chemistry with Uncle Vern today too, especially on the deep pass. So I do think the Redskins' pass catchers showed an ability to respond to him and to work with him. I guess the way I feel about Colt right now, after this game, his first meaningful action in whatever it is, three years, is about the same as it was yesterday. He is substantially more likely than Alex Smith to make something happen on a given play, but that something might be good or might be really bad. He seems to have higher highs and lower lows, but also more of both to boot. He did have to deal with a lot of pressure today, and that has been the case frequently for the quarterback since at least the beginning of October, and certainly that's part of it. A big part of that, of course, is that they're playing without Brandon Sheriff, and both Trent Williams and Morgan Moses are clearly far less than 100%. But if the Redskins are going to go 3-2 and two or better in these last five games, which is going to be absolutely necessary to make the playoffs, McCoy's going to have to figure out a solution to that pressure, and Jay's going to have to help. I think they're going to need shorter dropbacks, more screens and passes to running backs, even more action to Reed, more action to Quinn, or eventually Crowder if he gets healthy. Just a few fewer chances in general, because McCoy is just flat out off target a little too much for them to be throwing it almost 40 times in a game. Now, Mark Sanchez is definitely not going to reach a point this season where he is a better, safer, or higher upside option than Colt McCoy. So it's really not even worth discussing the concept of a superior alternative. And I do think he's capable of a lot better than what we just watched. But that better happen or they're dead. Part of McCoy's struggles can certainly be attributed to the Redskins running game having almost completely disappeared. And being that Peterson was such a key part of their early season success, perhaps I should have led with this major problem. AP went 12 for 35 with an average under 3. He also, again, after having looked, I thought, a little bit more explosive last week, failed to impress me with the look of his movements. And I'm again worrying that he might be wearing down. In fact, he briefly did come out of the game again today with some other new malady. So he's injured on about 76% of his body in addition to being 43 years old. I didn't really get a great feel today in real time for how Jonathan Cooper played, but I'm certain that the overall guard play, both right and left right now for the Redskins, is on average downgraded from where it was to start the season. I'm also quite certain that both Trent and Morgan are significantly reduced in their individual effectiveness as compared to the start of the season. And I think Chase Roulier in the middle is just kind of good, not great at baseline, though he seemingly remains healthy. So there is not going to be some kind of quick fix for this offense's running game. They really don't have another back who deserves a bigger part of the pie. Their offensive line is injured and largely replaced, and so that's probably only going to deteriorate further. And the quarterback play continues to just not scare defenses. Now McCoy might be just a little bit more of a threat to push it down the field, and if he can get Reed and maybe Doxon going in consecutive games, that could, I guess, potentially open things up. But when you add to all of that, the appearance of Adrian Peterson starting to slow down a little bit, I think it's more likely to get even worse than it is to get better. 
And on a related note, I think an enormous part of why this offense has taken a big step back this year is that they've gone from being quite good to just terrible on play action. This too, I assume, is multifactorial. But Jay and Kirk were previously able to use play action for big chunk gains regularly. And that well has completely dried up. I suspect that specific issue is causing Jay Gruden to pull his hair out as much as any other in 2018. By the way, not to bring up a sore subject, so to speak, but I think these last two or three games is where the Redskins have really started to miss Darius Geis, or at least what Geis was expected to become more than they had previously, because there is just no longer any explosiveness or dynamism to the rushing attack. They desperately need Geis to heal up and come back at 100% and to be what he was at LSU. Trey Quinn was absolutely a bright spot today. He only had five catches for a low average of 5.2, but those five came on only six targets, and his touchdown catch was absolutely sensational, and his pretty long punt return to set up that touchdown catch was also the closest thing to electric that any Redskins punt or kick returner has generated all season to my immediate recollection. I think fans' enthusiasm about Trey Quinn is fully justified. I expect him to have a good career. I certainly don't think he's already up to the level of peak Jamison Crowder coming out of the slot. But when you think about it, it's actually been a pretty long time since we've actually seen peak Jamison Crowder anyway. And I don't think Quinn is too terribly far off. And I think over even the remaining month plus of this season... He'll make huge strides and by the end be a major contributor, if he isn't already. He's looking like a terrific draft pick, and he is going to make the question of Jamison Crowder's contract a very difficult one. (laughs) Rookie defensive lineman Tim Settle was another bright spot today. He had two tackles, including one tackle for loss, but he was in the backfield a bunch of times and got good penetration on that play in the fourth quarter when the Redskins stopped Zeke Elliott on fourth and one. I think the reason he got more playing time today was not a happy one, and that is specifically that Ioannidis seems to have hurt his calf and was unable to return. Ioannidis, of course, is having a stellar year, and he'll certainly be missed if he indeed has to miss time. But it was extremely encouraging to see Settle step in and do what he did. And also, check me on this, but having watched him at Tech and, of course, seen a little bit of him mainly in the preseason, I think he lost weight and already like looks uh, slimmer and faster and shiftier. It seems whatever they're doing with him in terms of conditioning is working. And that was like a primary part of why even as an impactful college player, he fell to the fifth round in the draft. So if he's getting his body right, that'll be a really nice player to add to the defensive line rotation, potentially down the stretch here if Ioannidis misses time, or certainly in the future if and when they're ready to move on from Stacey McGee. The officiating in this game was very shitty, as has been the case from the Redskins' perspective for several games in a row now. They missed a very blatant hands-to-the-face penalty that should have been called against the Cowboys, perpetrated against Colt McCoy in the first quarter on a play on which he eventually completed the pass, but that was 15 sorely missed yards. They missed the the hit-to-the-head on a defenseless receiver penalty that should have been called on Jordan Reed's late reception near the goal line. There was a sketchy collection of holding penalties called, or not called. The ref situation in the NFL has just gotten to be pretty pathetic. And whereas the Redskins may have actually been benefiting from it a little bit in the first part of the season, they're getting screwed by it here lately. Being that the two biggest and most important plays in this game were number one, Quentin Dunbar falling down, and number two, Fabian Moreau, 
failing to attempt a solid tackle. I'm not sure it's fair for me to go super hard on Jay Gruden, specifically for this loss. But in a season, and, and really just a sport in which every game I, I acknowledge is important, this was the most important one so far. And while it didn't exactly seem like they came out flat, so to speak, the idea that they could give up 21 straight points in less than a quarter's worth of time and kind of get humiliated even though the final doesn't really reflect it, yet again on primetime TV with literally the whole country watching since that's what you do on Thanksgiving, this was just another key flop. This has been kind of a bizarre season for Gruden. I mean, not bizarre in that the team is within a half game of 500 because that's Jay Gruden's jam. 500. That's his zone. That's obviously not why it's bizarre, but previously they were kind of managing to have a good season despite looking bad. And now I think pretty suddenly, like over the course of only two weeks, They've gone from sitting pretty to sitting on the precipice of disaster. And if they manage to win, say, only one of their remaining five games, which is not only possible, but I think fairly likely if you were to project out three turnovers per game from Colt McCoy and also fewer than 40 yards rushing for Adrian Peterson, then they're going to be 7-9 and nine again, and he's going to get fired. 7-9 and nine can cut it for a little while when it is viewed in immediate juxtaposition to long preceding stretches of pathetic ineptitude, but it's not okay when it's your fifth year with the team as the head coach, it's your second consecutive sub-500 season, and most importantly, when it happens after you start at 6-3. and three. So obviously, Jay is still coaching for the playoffs, but also, as much as ever before, he is definitely coaching hard here down the stretch for his job. It's very strange, but as optimistic as we all were two or three weeks ago, we were also potentially only about a month away from a major quarterback quandary and the firing of the head coach. This is an extremely tenuous situation. Very luckily for Jay, there is not a dominant team in the division. But even if the Redskins fade, the remainder of this season will not be without intrigue because the remainder of the season may, in fact, still decide who are the key faces in terms of both players and coaches on the Redskins in 2019.